mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you let's go sing verse 1 again mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crush your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near Your enemy you've made your friend Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace Your mercy and your kindness know no end Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. The Jesus, thank you. 
Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you, once your enemy. Now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. pray together. Lord, indeed, we give you praise for all the blessings that we have received in the beloved. Mm. Lord, that we are saved from the wrath which was justly due us. Lord, that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we have been adopted as your very children, and that we receive all the blessings in Christ Jesus. Lord, how much we are to be thankful for all that you've done for us. And who are you that you would love us in this way? Who are you that you would send your son to die for us, to bear that wrath? Lord, indeed, you are awesome and mighty and loving and just and merciful. And Lord, to know you and to commune with you and to be in the word and have your words illumined to us, Lord, there's no greater thing in life. Lord, so please help us to press on towards that goal, to know you more, Lord, to, Lord, to see your glory, to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Lord, that is our heart and that is our prayer. So as we come even now before your word, Lord, I pray that you would open it. Lord, that you be with Pastor Bob as he preaches, Lord. We ask that you would strengthen him for this task, Lord. Let us speak as if speaking the very oracles of God. And we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. You'll notice that the uh, bulletin is uh, the 18th instead of the 25th. That was an error on our part in here. And so uh, there's one that didn't, uh, that isn't on there. It was an update on uh, uh, Lee's mom, Pat. And uh, she's recovering from a stroke and, and, and her medication, actually. I guess it's maybe a combination of it even. But uh, she's uh, back in her rest home, but, and she's speaking and, and being able to do some things, but uh, she is disoriented. And so we want to just continue to keep her in prayer as well. So uh, in, our, in our message this morning, uh, continuing in the ch uh, 11th chapter of Romans, we'll be picking up at the 11th verse. And as we do, just a, a quick review, uh, backing up for just a minute, uh, you know, the questions that Paul is addressing here, basically, has God re rejected his people uh, and based on the fact that they're not coming to Christ? Uh, there's a few, but, but generally speaking, the nation of Israel is in opposition to Christ. They see it as a cult, as a group breaking away from Judaism, and they're very much against it. 
And so tremendous persecution. Uh, that's where the persecution, in fact, began with the church, was from Jerusalem and, and, and the, the Jews pursuing uh, Paul having been one of them uh, initially. But uh, Paul says, no means. You know, God hasn't rejected his people. He hasn't forgotten them. And what they were concerned about was all the promises that had been made through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on to David. Uh, and, and Paul says, by no means. These, you know, God has not rejected the, the Hebrew people. Uh, and even now, there, he pointed out by using himself as well that there's an, uh, an elect remnant. There are those that are coming to the Lord right now. However, the rest, because of their sin, because of their refusal to see Christ, to accept Christ, God has allowed their hearts to be hardened. And as a result, uh, they, they, they are blind. Uh, they have, uh, and this was a prophetic picture that was drawn out of the Old Testament, uh, a spirit of stupor was upon them. In other words, a sleepiness, a sluggishness. Uh, their eyes can't see, their, their ears can't hear. And he said, to this very day, that's the, the condition of the Hebrew people. So it draws this question to where it brings us in verse 11 that, that, that Paul rhetorically asks uh, to his readers. So I ask, did they, referring to Israel, uh, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Interesting series of verses here. Paul starts off with his question. Well, with all this talk about is Israel uh, going to make it or not? Is the promise is going to be kept? He says, here's another question that comes into this. Uh, since Paul had made it clear that, that, that they uh, had, were not accepting Christ as, as a nation. He says, did they stumble? Now, again, that idea of stumble is, is uh, that picture of Christ the stumbling stone. Did they stumble over Jesus that they might fall? And the idea in the context that it's put in here uh, is actually that they might fall, in a sense, permanently. In other words, is it, is it possible that they've, they've fallen away as a nation to the point where there is no hope for them. Again, Paul emphasizes, by no means. Rather, through Israel's trespass, through their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles as, so as to make uh, the, Israel, the nation of Israel jealous. And uh, you can go back to, to chapter uh, 10, I think it's verse 19, uh, where uh, Paul says, I asked, uh, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. In other words, prophetic picture here coming out of the Old Testament was, I'm going to take up a nation that is not you, 
and, 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 and he's referring to the Gentile world, basically. And I'm going to raise them up, and it's going to make you angry and jealous because I'm paying attention to them. Kind of sounds like two kids, huh? You know, <laughs> mom loved you best. Uh, so, but Paul is saying that the, the very act of, of, of Israel's rejection of Christ is what indeed has opened the door to the Gentiles hearing and receiving Christ. I take you back to Acts uh, chapter 20, uh, uh, 28, verse 26. I read this last week. I'll read it again this week. Uh, Paul writes, Go to this people and say you will indeed hear but never understand, referring to the Jews, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For these people's heart was, was, has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This was Paul basically saying, my ministry is now focused. Jesus made it very clear to the Jews first. In fact, everywhere that Paul goes in the, old, in, in, in the, in the Scripture, he goes to the synagogues, he goes to the, the places where the Jews congregate, he meets with them first, and, and then, in some cases, ends up across the street even, preaching the, the gospel because of the rejection. Paul had been taken outside of one city and, and, and stoned and left for dead by the, by the Jews because of him preaching Christ. The Jews did not want to hear the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that Paul was preaching. They had their own idea of what the Messiah was going to be, and since it, Jesus didn't meet it, they refused it. Jesus even wept as he came over Jerusalem. He says, you're not even seeing the day of your visitation. You don't even recognize it. And what's going to happen as a result of this is, is horrendous. And Jesus speaking of, I believe, 70 A.D. And, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So the question is natural. You know, are, are the Jewish people still in God's plan? And Paul says, absolutely. In one picture, very clearly, he says, look at me. I'm a Jew and I'm a Christian. <laughs> In fact, I was, you know, we know from his other scriptures and from what went on in the book of Acts, he was not only a Jew, but he was a Jew who persecuted the Christians. He was on that thing. He understands what's going on very well, but God opened his eyes. He's part of that remnant that he's speaking of, that he kind of has drawn him into Christ and brought him to, the, of all the people, to the Gentiles. Where's Paul's heart from what you read here in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11? He is mourning. He is grieved deep in his heart over the nation of Israel and their rejection of Christ. To go so far as in back in chapter 9 to say, if I, if I could give up my salvation, that they would be saved, I would do it. And so, here Paul preaching to the Gentiles, it would almost seem like, uh, you know, I, I was looking at it thinking, would I be frustrated wanting to, to, to go. But he knows the Scripture. He knows that by going to the Gentiles and raising up the body of Christ in the Gentiles, that that ultimately is going to bring the Hebrew people to a point of jealousy, and that kind of jealousy that turns and says, I want what they have. Certainly a remnant for the season, 
but ultimately something even bigger. Israel's sin was the starting point, if you will, then, of the process that actually will lead them back to blessing later on. In between, we have the salvation that comes to the Gentile world. Now, there's a pattern here in what Paul is writing, starting with verse 11 and through the end of, of uh, chapter 11. That's really interesting. And it basically shows Israel's sin or, or trespass, what God does as a result for the Gentiles, and how it, what it's going to mean in, in the end, again, for Israel. So three things that keep repeating itself in here. Verses 11 through 12, for instance, is mentions the trespass of Israel, the salvation for the Gentiles, and then Israel's fullness or inclusion. Something, the, the trespass, the Jewish people are, are falling away from God, the salvation of the Gentiles happens, and then there's a, a time where he says that the Gentiles will be included or completed or uh, a full time of fullness for them. Verse 15, he says, Israel's rejection is spoken about. Then it's the reconciliation of the world as a result, and then Israel's uh, acceptance again. It's a pattern of, of failure, Gentiles, restoration. So, and, and it repeats itself again, verses 17 through 23. The, the natural branches are broken off of the olive tree, off the olive root, and the wild shoots, the Gentiles are grafted in, but then he brings back the natural branches and, and grafts them back. Um, verses 25 and 26, a hardening of Israel, fullness of the Gentiles, then all Israel will be saved. That's a pretty powerful combination, but it's the same pattern again. And the last time we see this pattern is, is in verses 30 and 31. The obedience of Israel, the mercy for Gentiles, and then the mercy to Israel. So I want you to catch this. As Paul is trying to make it very clear. There is a pattern that God established in his symphony created before the foundation of the world that he wrote before the foundation of the world. And as he's playing it out, as he's conducting it, there are certain choruses and, and things that repeat themselves in such a way as to bring about his perfect purpose. And one of the things that happened was, by the falling away of Israel, the gospel was opened to the Gentiles. If you were, uh, you know, a Gentile prior to Christ, death, of burial, and resurrection, prior to the... Prior, prior to the beginning of the church, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to draw close to God, you had to do it as a proselyte, a person who comes to another's faith. And you had to go through all of the purification things that, that, that any other Hebrew would have to go through to, to enter in. And that included uh, for the men, the uh, circumcision and everything else. And, and all the forms and, 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 and uh, rituals and things that needed to be there were the things that they would then become a part of and be able to practice. At that point, they would be considered part of the Jewish family, although some of the stricter Jews would never quite receive them as, well, 100%. It's kind of like moving into Fortuna. <laughs> you know, how, you know there, there, are, there are families here in Fortuna that have been here forever, and I was told when we moved here in 82, you know, that, you know, welcome and all this kind of stuff. And my kids were born here, and I said, well, 
you know, at least they, they're, they're natives, and they said, well, I mean, we'll have to think about that. Cardozos aren't here this morning, I'd pick on them. And uh, what was interesting was when Jessica got married uh, to Chad, her, her, uh, he, it turns out he's related to the Cardozos, he related to all these people, and they said, well, maybe now, you know. <laughs> you can kind of see yourself included in the picture, certainly your kids, okay, we'll accept them. You know, but, but all adjusting aside, the, the, I, there is a point where the Hebrew people looked at the Gentiles as they came in, and they were substandard still for, all, for the majority of them. But they could still come in, they could worship, uh, the, but they still came in like everybody else. They, they had to come through the priests and, and the sacrifices and all the things that, would, that went on. Now, what I want you to think about, too, here as we, as we look at this is uh, verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean, or their full, the completeness mean? This, if their trespass means riches for the world and for, and for the Gentiles, basically, it's what he's saying is, is that Israel failed to obtain what they were seeking, then if that blesses the Gentiles, them being completed or something happening with them that draws them back, a restoration of the Hebrew people, how much more is going to happen than that? In other words, the idea of something greater than what has already happened is in the, in the future that will come with the restoration of Israel, the, the, the fullness, the inclusion, the time where Israel is blessed again and, and sees Christ. And you start to think about that. I was trying to, to, in my mind, kind of separate out. Okay, what, what are the blessings that we have right now in Christ? Well, I, I, it was easy for me. I, since we've been going through Romans chapter 8, uh, chapter, Romans, the book of Romans, I went back to Romans chapter 8. Started off right with verse 1. I have, there's no condemnation. I rest comfortably before the throne of God, knowing that my sins are covered. He, he drank the cup of wrath, <laughs> the song we just sang, and washed away my sins. I stand before the throne of God, calling out for his mercy and grace, and I can do so boldly, and, and it's because of what he has done for me. So that is amazing. All by itself, that is amazing. I don't have to come through any Jewish rites. In fact, that was a big battle in the early church. Jews who were becoming Christians were having a problem with the Gentiles who were becoming Christians because they didn't become basically Jews first and go through all of the purification, the circumcision, and other things. But the apostles came to the conclusion that those things weren't necessary. Circumcision was not a flesh thing as much as it was the picture and meant to be a picture of the heart uh, and, and surrendered to Christ. And so this, this, this idea of, of uh, blessing is all the things that we have. I know already I am a joint heir with Christ. He's going to share inheritance with me. I know that there is a place prepared for me eternally. 
I know that in the midst of this life, God is going to absolutely, without hes- with no argument allowed, it really, it's from a, from a faith picture, he's going to work everything that happens in my life out for good to bring about his purpose in me. Absolute promise. So I already have all of this. And Paul says, how much more? When Israel is basically restored, how much more there's going to be? I think first off, just the great rejoicing of God's people that he called his own first, returning to Christ as a, as a nation and acknowledging him, will bless us just being a part of that, seeing it, hearing it. Somebody says, well, what if it happens after I die? You won't miss it. <laughs> that alone will be something amazing, something we have never seen before as a church. We'll see God's joy over the whole picture. There's a little more that goes with this because at verse 15 he says, if, 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 if Israel's rejection opens up reconciliation for the world, then what will their acceptance bring life from the dead? I was looking at that, and, and life from the dead is the, that complete phrase is unique to hear. Because I like to take full phrases and look and see where else they've been used to kind of get their context. But the, the, the phrase from the dead is used 47 times, and out of that 47 times, 46 times it's used with reference to the resurrection. We're going to see, I believe that what's happening here is the picture. There's going to be a restoration of the nation of Israel and the celebration that goes with that, and and then the fullness of the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. And we will see what Paul longs for face-to-face. What he says we long to see, we will see face-to-face. And, again, we are told very clearly, the the best we get at glimpsing that is in a mere dimly, and seeing with a fog, in a sense. So the Jews trespass, their rejection of Christ, Paul says... that he will take the gospel to the Gentiles and they will listen. Because of the Jews' rejection of Christ, salvation is brought to the Gentiles. What a blessing the Gentiles have received from Israel's failure. But it's not done. This, This restoration that is coming is is the fullness, the completeness of all of God's plan. This part in, in the, for, the Jew, for the Gentile church really wasn't being considered. In fact, they were getting to the point, and there's, there's some evidence in some of Paul's writings, that this was a problem. 
And that was that they were beginning to think it's just us, the Gentiles. The Jews are, God's done with them. Paul makes it very clear here, and that's not the case. God has not finished with them yet. There's a time, according to Zechariah 12, where the Jewish nation, as a, as a people, will look on him whom they have pierced and mourn. That's yet to happen. And like I said, this ushers in the end of history and the beginning of eternity and a new heaven and a new earth. In the midst of this passage, in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, here I am, uh, basically a, a, a Jew concerned for my people. Here I am, the apostle to the Gentiles. And I, I put it in my own thought here, how does that help my people? And he says, in, but in so doing, I actually magnify my ministry. And he's referring to them. By ministering to the Gentiles, he is taking this very seriously. He is indeed magnifying his ministry to the Hebrew people because he's driving what's going to cause them to come to their knees and repent. He's, that, that they will become uh, jealous to the point of desiring what the church has. Somehow, he, I, I put it, this is kind of my word, somehow my ministry to the Gentiles is going to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. I never caught that before reading this. It was just something you know, that, that kind of jumps out. All of a sudden I realized Paul, Paul's desire is actually God is meeting it. His desire to minister to the Jews and to see them come to salvation, God's using him for that very purpose. And he sees it. What a joy that had to be for him to say and, and even to make him all the more anxious. But I thought of it as I saw this. How much ministry do we do that we don't see in the sense of the end results, in the sense of, of, of accomplishing God's purposes, possibly globally, in something that you've done? comes down to that point that, you know, who was it that, you know, I, I, I can't remember. I know there's a testimony in the book and then stuff that goes with it, but I don't remember all the details. But the guy that, 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 that was instrumental in Billy Graham's faith. You know, you know, this, you know, look at how that impacted the world. The, the persons, you know, even in, in, in a small community, you touch somebody's life, and they see what you have, and they say they become jealous of it. They want it, and they receive Christ, and they move, and maybe their reflection, they're they're sharing uh, with someone else in a whole different community in a whole different area, brings someone else to the Lord, and that spreads and that spreads. You remember what I told you? All of us are tied to the upper room. Every one of us. One of those people is responsible for us being here today. We don't know which one. At least I don't. I mean, maybe some of you can find that family. I don't know if that family tree genealogy exists, uh, but we'll know it. I believe we'll actually get to, to, to see the fullness of that. 
But the reality is that somebody shared with, out of that room that shared with somebody that shared with somebody that shared with somebody or, or that 3,000 that day that were dispersed and went back to their various parts of the world. It doesn't matter. Out of that 120, we're all connected. Every one of us. And so whenever we share the Lord, we're accomplishing God's purpose just as much as, as Paul. And just as important as Paul in putting it all together. I just was blown away with that thought. You know, that, that, that uh, you know, Paul could see the, how, you know, through prophetic picture, his ministry was accomplishing God's purpose and how that made me so, so grateful and, and confident that in some small way, I am contributing, we are contributing to God's purpose and, and, and his work. And that it's going to have an impact that is eternal in its nature. And I just kind of sat there and mulled that over for a while and was really blessed by it. And encouraged. And probably stimulated a little bit to say, what am I not doing that I should be doing? <laughs> what could I be doing that, that I haven't thought of yet? This friction, by the way, between Israel and, and, and the church and Israel looking at the church, I have to say, where you see this jealousy, I can actually say in my own family I saw this. My sister chose to stay with the Jewish side of our family and, and go through uh, the, the temple for her faith and her worship and, and stayed in that context. Um, I never went that route and, and uh, kind of just kind of embraced nothing <laughs> for a long time and then embraced Christ and, and I shared it with her and she just wasn't even interested, didn't want anything to do with it. She was almost in my dad's camp and thinking I had joined a cult. Uh, and the, the picture as it, as, as it unfolded, she saw my life moving in, in growth in the Lord. And I would share with her new things that were happening and different things that were happening, things that I was learning. Uh, and, and she would say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? I get to share it with her. And say, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess that it could be possible. Yeshua could be the, the, the Messiah, I suppose. You know, and she started thinking about it that way. And then she started looking at all the things in Scripture. Well, I was sending her certain Scriptures. And then I sent her a, 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 an album by the Messianic Wailing Wall, Liberated Wailing Wall, which was a, a, a Christian Jewish group uh, that was all out of Matthew, Scripture songs out of Matthew about the King of, and, and the Messiah Christ. And I sent that to her, and she started taking the words down and, and writing them and dissecting it and everything else. And finally she says, how do I do it? I want what you've got. said it's so simple and now she would I guess you know some people will turn the completed Jew you know this type of thing but but uh, and I know several other people who as Jewish people being around Christian people saying I've come to the conclusion my faith is incomplete I need what you have I'm jealous of what you have because what you have was meant for me. <laughs> you know, I, I want it too. 
Again, until the death of Christ, the only way for the Gentile world to approach the God was through becoming a proselyte. But something, the thing that radically changed was what happened at the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, we have this picture of Jesus and his death on the cross. Jesus cried out, verse 50 of, of, of uh, chapter 27 of Matthew. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. The key to what we're looking at there the curtain was torn in two. The curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place. There's a possibility that something else happened with this earthquake. And, I, and it's something that was shared with me years ago. And it's just a, a, an opinion of some commentators as they go through the book of Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 18, it says, He in his flesh has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And the dividing wall, actually the word there is the middle wall. And in the temple, the middle wall was the wall that, uh, of Herod's temple was the wall that separated the, the court of the Gentiles from, the, from entering into worship, entering into the presence of, or holy ground. Whether that's literally something that happened it figuratively or spiritually did happen. He tore down the wall that held and separated the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And so just as much as the Jews could now see in the temple through where the curtain had been and it's now separated, so the Gentiles were invited to come in and see in the sense of their, their spiritual walk with Christ. They had access, just as any Jew had access, now in Christ directly. Hebrews 4.16 says that we get to come before the throne of God with a boldness. And I, I've heard so many people over the years share that that's, you know, you know, they come with almost an attitude because of that scripture. Kind of like, well, God, you have to, to receive me. You have to do this. Yeah, Look at the words, if you will, that it says, I come for boldness to claim specifically two items, mercy and grace. The mercy is the gift I do not, you know, that, that somebody, you know, is, is removed, which is my judgment. And grace is the giving to me something I don't deserve, eternal life. And as I come to that, that's what I come boldly before the throne. And so because of as what we've read here, majority of us in this room at least are, are, are of, of Gentile background, we get to come to the table of Christ because of what he's done for us. 
we get to partake of communion because of what he's done for us. And we get to celebrate in that confidence there is no condemnation. And the knowledge and the absolute assurance that when we fall short, when we do sin, that when we confess our sins, according to 1 John, when we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just to forgive us our sins and restore us to all righteousness. He reminds us in, in 1 John chapter 2 that even, you know, He says, I write all these things to you that you might not sin. <laughs> but then He turns right around and says, But when you do sin, remember, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus. That's your lawyer. <laughs> and He will come to your rescue. And I always have that picture of Jesus now standing next to the high priest of the Old Testament in, in uh, the, the picture of, uh, in Zechariah chapter 3, I think it is, uh, where the, the high priest is sitting there and Satan's sitting there to, standing there to accuse him. And I'm sure Satan had the list right here. Joshua, the high priest, did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. But he never even gets a chance to speak. Jesus says, oh, Joshua. And he kind of looks at Satan and says, this is the one I plucked from the fire. You have nothing to say here. He's mine. And that's his relationship with us through the cross. And as we come to the table, Satan has no room here. He could stand there and want to accuse you. And if you hear the accusations, I call them false because he's gone out. Where, where, where do your sins reside and when you're forgiven? As far as the east is from the west or what's the other one? The depth of the deepest sea, okay? The idea is they're unretrievable, okay? So you're sitting here and, and all of a sudden it comes back and, and Satan's saying, remember when, whatever, and you start to rethink of something that that you know you've brought before the throne of God and that you've asked forgiveness and you know in your heart at that point in time the grace was real, you, that's that point where you can say, get behind me, Satan. That's that, you, you, you're, you're coming up with a facsimile. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you can't, you, you can't, you don't have access to the real thing either. We can rest with all that confidence as we come to the table. God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his continuing forgiveness and his promise to see us through to the very end. And we will see that phrase, how much more, come true. And we'll, we'll see it and be in awe and amazed as it comes to pass. I'd ask the ushers to come, uh, pass out the communion until we've all been served, and uh, we'll share it together. Show me how 
you bore so much shame to love me. When the heavens pass away, all your stars they still remain, and forever they will say just how much you love me. So I want to say forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. Forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. in your hands the nails in your feet they tell me how much you love me the thorns on your brow they show me how you bore so much shame to love me when the heavens pass away and all your scars they still remain and forever they will say just how much you love me so i want to say forever my love forever my heart forever my life is yours forever my love forever my heart forever my life is yours John declares in Revelation when he sees Jesus sees him as the lamb who was slain. That picture there, the, the, the reality of, of, of Christ bearing the scars forever for us is an amazing picture. And even in his resurrection, he, that was his identification. He recalls to the apostles, look at my hands, look at my feet. And Thomas says, well, I need to even see the side. <laughs> you know? uh, and uh, Jesus is, you know, for eternity, we will see him as the lamb who was slain, and yet we'll see him simultaneously, I believe, as the lion of Judah and, and the king of, of kings and the Lord of lords. And to realize that he has embraced us and drawn us in to his kingdom eternally, to share with us eternally 
all accomplished at the cross. And the picture he gives us to celebrate this as often as we gather together is communion and the bread and the cup. And symbolically, at the Last Supper, he used the bread to represent his body. He took it after giving thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same night, he took the cup of wine, lifted it up to them. He said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Father, we come and we, we celebrate you as our Savior. We worship you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end of our salvation. The one who sees the end from the beginning. And we recognize that it is only you that can bring salvation. It is resting in you and only you that brings eternal life. Cause us to live in such a way that people see that joy in us. And whether Gentile or Jew, there would be a sense of, of, of wanting to feel that same peace. Enjoy. And then give us the boldness when given the opportunity to share the words that you would give us at any given time to encourage someone to draw close to you. Thank you for our salvation, Lord. Thank you for your mercy, your grace. We come to you boldly and rest in it with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close this morning? Uh, we have some refreshments if you have a time to visit and share for a few minutes. Lord bless. Thank you for being here and uh, have a good rest of the day.